When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pod Save the King! Hello and welcome back to Pod Save the King. I'm your host, Anne Gripper, and we've got a very newsy packed show today. I mean, who thought it would get quiet after the coronation? But obviously, there's been some um, major news stories with Sophie, the Duchess of Edinburgh, and the crash in London, um, Meghan and Harry's scary experience in New York, um, and all the royals being out and about with their normal busy lives and some very fabulous outfits as well, it has to be said. We've also got an interview later in the episode with Neil Stevenson, who is founder of NEJ Stevenson, who made the coronation chairs for Westminster Abbey. So I hope you enjoy listening to that. Um, I've been wanting to chat with a warrant holder for a while. So it was really interesting to find out a bit more about royal warrants and working with the royals more generally. So I hope you enjoy that bit. But first of all, um, Russell Myers, he's still off his dodgy back. Is um, he's trying to get it sorted out? So um, we're looking forward to welcoming him back very soon. But instead, in the meantime, I have the great pleasure of recording for the first time with someone who will be very well known to listeners who uh, um, who have been around for, particularly during my maternity leave. Is Jennifer Newton, royal writer with Mirror Online. Lovely to see you, Jen. Yeah, lovely to be here recording with you for the first time. Yeah, can't wait. So it's the first time you've been on the show since the coronation. Since the coronation, yeah. What are your what are your abiding memories from that weekend, I guess, and the big day? I think what I liked most about the coronation was just the spectacle of it all, all of the people, all of the military, just, you know, the great images and the great pictures. I think that's what kind of will live with me, you know, for the rest of my life, really, the, of what happened at the coronation. And I think another thing is that I didn't know before the coronation was just how much regalia they had. You know, I knew there was going to be a crown. I knew there was going to be an orb. I knew there was going to be a scepter, but I didn't know there was, you know, a glove or a spurs or that sort of thing. So, yeah. Spurs, very retro. Don't necessarily need those day to day, do you? And I know lots of people were interested in um, whether the gloves had been adapted for uh, for King Charles's old old man fingers, yeah. sort of, um, sorry, stop it. I was at a I was at a National Trust property at the weekend, and they had some peculiar implements on like a dressing table. Um, it was a place where Queen Victoria went um, quite a bit. It was the home of Benjamin Disraeli, her favourite Prime Minister. But we went there because of the bees, not because of the royal connection. Anyway, that aside, um, we were looking around one of the rooms, and the guy said, "Oh, do you know what these implements are for? Do you know what they all are?" So there was a comb, and there was a brush, you know, normal dressing table things, and then there was a thing that looked like I don't know, it looked like it was something for old-fashioned dentistry it looks slightly scary but actually it was for stretching your gloves oh okay yeah so things yeah. you didn't know you used to need but yeah. um, anyway that's an aside but yeah all of that all of that regalia it was quite grand and spectacular and when there's still different bits and pieces coming out from the coronation Mike Tinder was talking about it on his podcast this week and uh, what his viewers I know you listened you listened back to that yeah show. I listened to the listen to the podcast uh, Mike's podcast this week and um, yeah he was he he had a little bit of frustration at the, about the coronation, specifically his seat. So he said it in a very jokey way. He wasn't, you know, raging about it or anything, but just saying that um, he didn't actually see much of the coronation. Although he had a, ro- a seat in a row 
near the front. The coronation actual ceremony was happening around the corner, so he didn't actually see much of it. He watched it on a screen, which was attached to the pillar in the abbey, which um, I thought was quite interesting. So basically he watched it on TV, just like the rest of us, <laughs> and he despite was in, being there. And he was in one of the good seats near the front yeah. and everything. Yeah. Um, we've also had, since we last um, talked on the show, a couple more photos. The official photos have come out. Um, so we've had the sort of the official coronation party. So Prince George in that one again, all the different um, pages and um, Camilla's assistants as well. And the one I think that I found particularly striking was the picture of Charles and William and George. Yeah. And, um, you know, it makes us think back to the the very special photos when we had the Queen there as well and having that very, you know, unique situation really of four four people, the, the direct line of um of succession. And, you know, we won't we won't get that again for you know, generations yeah. you would think you would think and I think oh you know that again emphasizes the missing element somehow yeah what did you make of the coronation photos over all the particular bits that you um yeah I think the photo that you? you were just talking about there the one with Charles William and George it's quite a significant photo because it kind of shows that the monarchy is assured for the future because we've got the king the king has a son and the son ha- also has a son so we've got those three you know, things there, I suppose. Yeah. We can see into the future. We can see into the future. That's what I'm I'm trying to say. Yeah. We can see into the future. And it's quite interesting because I was, I did a a chat with um, historian Tracy Borman. This was before the coronation. And she was saying one problem monarchs in the past have had is, you know, ensuring the line of succession is going to, you know, just look at Henry VIII. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. And that's what she said. He doesn't have any problem or, concerns about that because he knows it's assured he can focus on other things which I thought was quite an interesting yeah an interesting view big weight off his mind yeah exactly. um <laughs> I thought as I was thinking about um you saying you know the what you'll remember for mm. years to come the behind the scenes the coronation film from the Cambridges they're sort of little short um short movie put together by filmmaker Will Wool, which is you know, it's had a million YouTube views already hardly surprising I'm sure it's been viewed you know gazillions of times everywhere else as well that sort of blend of the BBC coverage and their own um, choice of footage and then the behind the scenes moment as well it sort of reminded me almost of like the wedding video edit that you might get so it's not the the whole play-by-play but it's kind of the put together bit that you would you would watch back and then I was thinking oh you know would you sit if you're William and Kate would you sit and watch this back and remember those sort of happy moments and that special weekend I thought oh no maybe not but maybe for George and Charlotte and Louis who are that bit younger to experience it and um you know wouldn't have I don't know it'd be interesting how what their memories might be of that in years to come and you know Louis's still pretty young although not um similar age probably to what Charles was when he was at his yeah, own exactly yeah mum's coronation and he's he's spoken a bit about his memories of it so there's memories there but yeah in terms of capturing I guess the atmosphere in the moment and their excitement and joyfulness at the at the big weekend I thought it was it was really nice and I really actually enjoyed the the bit where William's addressing the empty stadium oh yeah yeah a bit field of drink yeah <laughs> classic um yeah what did you think of their um of that video yeah I I really liked the video what I liked about the video is I think it kind of gave the viewer the fact that they were getting to see a behind the scenes moments that you wouldn't ordinarily see so when I watched it for the first time I was a bit 
oh, I can't believe they've let us see inside Kensington Palace the morning of them getting ready before going to Westminster Abbey for the coronation. You wouldn't have expected that in the past. And I think that's what has really resonated with people, those behind the scenes moments, even though really, when you think about it, they don't show anything massively, you know, exciting or controversial. It's just knowing that you've got that little insight into the lives behind palace walls almost i wanted to see the moment that the kids like laughed hysterically at what their parents were wearing yeah <laughs> and had a fight about whose dressing up box it was going in yeah. afterwards um i thought kate looked particularly sort of glossy there was quite a lot of hair flicking going on as well yeah. in various bits of it. it was it was um very nice um yeah so it is it is interesting i think uh russell and i were talking a couple of weeks ago in the run-up to the coronation probably about whether it felt like the cambridges were or the royals generally with being a bit more prepared to do selfies and be a bit more available, I guess, of lower the barrier between them and, and the public. What you, what's your sort of feeling on that, having been watching them over the last, you know, months and years? I definitely say that's the case. Like the selfie thing that you just mentioned, we've seen that more and more, especially in the lead up to the coronation. And, you know, even engagements in the past few weeks, it feels like they've been a bit more open and willing to talk about you know, what it's like to be royal. Just in the past, you know, week, Kate has been chatting about that and we'll come on to that in a little while. Um, and yeah, just letting people in a little bit more. And I think they realise that's something they have to do if they want to keep the interest going. Yeah, so there's various events been going on. I enjoyed Kate at Eurovision, although I was totally oblivious. I was at a Eurovision party <laughs> and it was I didn't realise it had gone on until, I don't know, probably the next morning or something because I was just enjoying myself. And it was just, it was a short moment and yeah. unless you're actually watching it actively um you're gonna miss it but she I mean she looked fantastic that dress was stunning and uh yeah very nice having her in that playing the piano so we had that going on well she's been out of a Chelsea flower show picnic a staple of her calendar now um and it does feel like quite a lot of her engagements was that one and then the um the sporty mental health outing and in Bath and then chatting again with the kids at the station on the way back from that it feels like her events seem quite focused at the moment on sort of children and which is we know is one of early years is one of her key sort of missions for her royal life. Yeah I definitely say even you know today just as we've came in here to to chat she's at the Foundland Museum talking about um you know how important it is children have a uh, carer in their lives if you know for whatever reason their parents aren't able to fulfill that role so yeah it def definitely seems that early years campaign the shaping us campaign is getting you know still being hard pushed by Kate if that makes sense uh, and you mentioned she'd been chatting about royal life yeah. as well on one of her other visits so what's, yeah. what's she been saying well on the visit to the Chelsea flower show it was quite interesting she was surrounded by children and it's like children don't have a filter they'll just ask whatever pops into their head whereas I think adults would be a little bit more cautious but they were asking her what she'll do what's the first thing she'll do when she's queen and she said she wants to look after children which is kind of unsurprising but it was quite a nice insight um and she was also asked to um they would the children were doing some sketches and she was also asked if she would sign their pictures and she said she couldn't she wasn't allowed oh yeah apparently it's she said one of those rules which we have heard in the past apparently royals aren't meant to sign their names as autographs okay yeah so she did she drew pic she drew a picture back instead Oh, well, that's very yeah. cute. So she did, she did give them a, give them a souvenir, but yeah, she stuck to the, 
the royal rules as it were so selfies okay ish yeah. now yeah. autographs no no not so much <laughs> yeah so you have been warned um william's been out and about as well rowing yeah you know i was still he's still got it yeah definitely yeah <laughs> i mean Rowan's quite a quite a demanding sport, isn't it? You've got to have the arm strength and the leg strength, I guess. Yeah, it's good full body workout. Yeah, yeah. Although I did wonder whether it was actually William that was making people swoon, or whether it was the, his rowing mates that were uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> attracting some additional <laughs> attention. But no, it's, they were going out and enjoying clearly like the good the good weather and and the summer. Um, it was nice to see Lady Louise carriage driving at the Royal Windsor Horse Show as well. And I'm sure very different atmosphere there this year without the queen who was such a long time sort yeah. of um enjoyer of that event sponsor of that event really um the king and queen they've been doing things as well not yeah. to forget them yeah yeah <laughs> um so they're in northern ireland at the moment they were at the chelsea flower show as well i went to covent garden last week so they're having a nice sort of run of nice events to settle in and yeah how do you think it's going so far yeah, I think the kind of the engagements they've been to have been, you know, the core kind of royal things, you know, the things you would expect the royals to be at. And it's kind of like, yeah, you're right, easing themselves back in after the coronation. And they must have had such a busy time over that time and the amount of pressure and stress they might have been under hoping it was all going to go right. And now they can just, you know, have some nice engagements to enjoy themselves leading into the summer and the nice weather. Another engagement that's worth mentioning is um, Sophie Wessex, well, Duchess of Edinburgh, as she is now, um, going to Baghdad. Yeah, that was a bit of a surprise. Um, She went there to, um, you know, champion and raise awareness of uh, women who are the victims of sexual violence um, through conflict. Um, It was an unannounced trip. Obviously, security implications for that trip were massive. So it wasn't announced until she'd been there. But um, yeah, it's quite... I mean, of, I can think of the past year, she's been to quite a few places that royals wouldn't ordinarily go to um, overseas. So, yeah, it was quite a quite a surprise one for her. But, yeah, a good one. And it's probably been, well, it's been a difficult few weeks um, in relation to the Edinburghs because um, Sophie was traveling through London with outriders and one of the outriders, sadly, um, there was a collision with a motorcyclist and an 81 year old lady in West London and she subsequently um, sadly died. Um, so there was a statement from Sophie or from Sophie's team for on her behalf saying the Duchess of Edinburgh is deeply saddened to hear that Helen Holland has passed away. Her Royal Highness's deepest condolences and sympathies go to all of Ms. Holland's family. Um, and then it was uh, understood Sophie's going to be in touch privately with with the family. So, you know, that's a really difficult a really difficult thing there's an ongoing investigation from the independent office for police conduct to get to the bottom of what exactly happened um i mean you know those of us who live in london we're very used to seeing outriders and a a car of some description coming through whether that's for the royals or whether it's for um our polit- sort of senior very senior politicians or even sort of visiting politicians my husband um he was at a defense some defense conference yesterday and there was a surprisingly large sort of security detail turning up for the international keynote so it was like who is it gonna be it was it was the president of poland okay yeah. and so that was you know big amounts of security and things but obviously um that's going to be investigated to see to see what see what caused the incident but yeah sympathies to um the family of um of, of Helen Holland um on the other side of the Atlantic also 
difficulties um, on the roads, let's say. That's been the, one of the big things that has happened over the last um, over the last couple of weeks. Should have been a nice night out. Nice and simple. Megan's got a lovely gold dress on. Strapless. Yeah, strapless, yeah. Bold, daring. Um, going to the Ms. Foundation Women of Vision Awards. Had to go in through a car rental um, car rental showroom or something. Yeah. Did we get to the bottom of why that was? I'm not quite sure. I think there was some sort of suggestion that they weren't doing the ordinary red carpet with the other guests and that was the only way to make your way into the venue without going through the front entrance. It was yeah. to go through the uh, the rent car office. But, yeah, because in fact, yeah. I guess it's also probably linked to what um, what came next because I think there'd been yeah. some suggestion that at a previous event, the, the red carpet had been a bit, you know, you've got the cameras going off and you've got people trying to grab a word and it's probably a bit more... Um, showbiz scrum than royal decorum if you like yeah. and um that's that's not the vibe that they want to live with and that's you know well weird actually because to a certain extent they've chosen the more show busy life but possibly they want the that quieter element of it but certainly you know initially it was nice glamorous event and then this um statement that came out from Harry's um, Harry's spokesperson sort of the morning afterwards was really quite you know shocking would have made everybody sort of sit up and and listen when it was said um, last night the Duke and Duchess of Sussex and Miss Ragland um, Doria Megan's mum was um, at the event with them were involved in a near catastrophic car chase at the hands of a ring of highly aggressive paparazzi this relentless pursuit lasting over two hours resulted in multiple near collisions involving other drivers on the road pedestrians and two NYPD officers while being a public figure comes with a level of interest from the public, it should never come at the cost of anyone's safety. Dissemination of these images, given the ways in which they were obtained, encourages a highly intrusive practice that is dangerous to all involved. So you've got this statement which came in and, you know, it really makes you sort of, <gasps> because of the history of what happened to Harry's mother, Princess Diana, you know, of course, like that that could be happening and that he could be experiencing it is you know unthinkable really in a lot of ways um but then at the same time quite quickly there were some other people saying other things and in fact even you know the BBC their reporting of it saying they've not been able to independently verify all aspects of it so um you know I think the people talk about the how traffic moves in New York and this kind of thing but uh, you know the, the clearly they were dis whatever happened they were distressed by it but what you know what what are the what have other people said what are the sort of the official bits and pieces that yeah. have come through yeah so the the NYPDs did you know they said in a statement that it was challenging for Harry and Meghan's transport from when they left the venue where this awards was to where they were going to stay for the evening it was a challenging situation there were photographers but they did say that there were no reports to them certainly of you know collisions or you know nobody had contacted them as such to say this had happened but they didn't and they did say that they had to um provide some um assistance to Harry and Meghan's private security so I don't know it's kind of I suppose it was just maybe a disagreement or some sort of difference between the language that both statements used if that makes sense mm. um harry and megan's was very emotional and you know you can understand that because you know who are we to say that it wasn't a frightening or 
you know, experience for them. But whereas the police statement was very much seemed a bit more sticking to facts, if that. That or their yeah, well, yeah. I guess legal language, whether yeah. it's a criminal yeah. situation or yeah or not. So it's difficult, and it was it came at a time just when Harry was challenged in sort of whether he could have whether he could essentially pay yeah. to have the kind of security that is provided for the royals as part of royal life to have essentially the same type of people yeah. um, doing the security here, um, which um, is in, he's he's lost that so what's what is that can you explain a bit more about that sort of security situation here yeah so the hearing the other day was um about him wanting to pay to essentially hire the police to look after his security when he comes to the uk and the outcome of that was that he's not allowed to do that so he won't be allowed to pay for police but there is still another hearing ongoing to see whether he should have that protection when he comes to the uk anyway without having to pay without having to pay yeah yeah so it's it's kind of a twofold thing they've said no you can't pay but it's still ongoing to to see whether he will actually get protection when he comes to the UK in the future okay be an interesting one to watch the outcome of that um talking about um awards I just want to share I think one of my favorite things that I've seen on on Twitter so the that fabulous Paddington moment yeah. with the Queen one I think it was TV moment of the year at the at the TV BAFTAs recently and um, Paddington has an absolutely fantastic response to it I'm going to do my best Paddington voice I can't do my can't do my Queen voice sadly anymore but I will do my Paddington voice Mr Brown said we've won a BAFTA but I'm not quite sure what that means bear awards for tea time adventures how marvellous thank you all so um, that's yeah a very charming response to that such a special um memorable moment um jen thank you very much for joining us i'm sure we'll be talking again soon but listeners do stick around because coming up i think you'll find it really interesting to hear a little bit more about behind the scenes at the coronation and being a furniture maker for the royals with neil stevenson who is the founder and ceo of nej stevenson the furniture makers So I am delighted to welcome to Pod Save the King, Neil Stevenson, whose furniture business was intimately involved with the coronation ceremony and has been working with the royal family for probably a quarter, beyond a quarter of a century, 30 years, I think, Neil. So lovely to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Tell me how you first came to work with the royal family. Uh, yes, well, it was all a bit of a surprise, really. I was, uh, at the time, still not working uh, on the bench in my small workshop in uh, Church Lordwood, which isn't far from here, and uh, the phone rang, and there was a message, a chap on the other end of, uh, end of the phone and said, uh, would you be interested in working at Windsor Castle? Which, to a large extent, I thought was somebody taking the mickey. Um, once we clarified that he was actually serious, I obviously said, well, I'd, I'd be delighted. Um, so I drove down to Windsor uh, for a meeting with a bunch of people in Tweed and um, they pretty much said, well, you seem very young, Mr. Stevenson, uh, being able to do this kind of work. And, but uh, we got through that and uh, eventually we started on the uh, furniture for the Masters Gallery. So that was Windsor Castle, and that was sort of back in the early nineties. Was that in the aftermath of the fire, or was it just no, general it was renovation? The fire. 
before the, sorry yeah it was before the fire and said so was your were you were you in the clear was your work safe from the fire or did you have to go back and uh, do sort of fixing up and things afterwards uh, no very fortunately all of the items that we'd made up until that point were in the areas of the uh, castle that uh, didn't actually catch fire um but then the only piece of furniture that was destroyed in the fire was the state dining room sideboard which is a huge piece of augustus pugin designed uh victoria gothic uh furniture and it was 19 feet long so they boxed it in and uh, when the fire came it was completely destroyed um so we had the great pleasure of uh, replicating it which was great fun so you tell us a bit about the kind of furniture that you tend to work on because it you know, I'd imagine there's a particular type of thing that ends up in castles and palaces and uh, places where royals do their hobnobbing. Yeah, well, of course, we don't uh, only do things for the royal family uh, and the royal household. Uh, most of our work is for, for other uh, projects and people. Uh, the royal household stuff tends to be a bit eclectic. Um, it can be uh, display furniture for the public areas. Uh, it can be private uh, elements for the uh, members of the royal household. Uh, sometimes it's work for the conservation areas and the library, um, um, uh, the uh, collections, uh, storage facilities. Uh, most of it's all pretty good and decent stuff. Uh, a lot of it we can't talk about because there's protocols involved. Uh, I'd very quickly lose my warrant if I decided to talk about things I shouldn't. Um, I mean, things that we, you know, enjoyed doing were um, obviously the Pugin sideboard, which was fantastic, and that's on the public uh, tour. Uh, we made the pews for the Queen's private chapel at Buckingham Palace, which was which was fun. Um, there was a new Reredos for the Chapel Royal at St. James's. Um, so all these things are just really interesting. Um, you know, they're in interesting places. They're usually in an interesting historic style. Require a reasonable amount of research and development of, of uh, techniques, particularly when you're replicating something that's been lost. Uh, be very careful not to bring into play too many modern techniques or materials. Uh, and that's just really great fun. So, fast forward 30 years from that first phone call, which you thought was a bit of a wind up initially, and um, it's the build up to the coronation. And um, how did you come to make it the Coronation chairs. How did that um, project evolve? Well, my understanding is there was a meeting um, where somebody mentioned rather late on, and wouldn't it be nice to have some coronation chairs? And it was generally agreed that there wasn't enough time because I think it was twelve weeks before the coronation. Um, a couple of the chaps in the meeting who I know um, and deal with on a regular basis said, "Well, we might know somebody who could help us." Uh, so I got a phone call while I was out visiting another client, actually, and I um, they said, uh, just say no, Neil, if it's not possible. Um, but I like a challenge. So with 12 weeks to go with no design, uh, quickly rushed out, very simple chair design, because obviously given the time we've got, um, you're not going to start making anything terribly complicated. And it's a congregation chair, so it doesn't need to be massively complicated anyway. Uh, so within two days, we'd made a prototype. Uh, got that down to the palace, um, had that approved, and we just got on and made them, really. So it was, um, again, with design, it was, it was simple to build, relatively easy to machine and assemble. 
the big issue really was the upholstery, which was not down to us. It was down to the Royal Conservation Workshops down in Windsor. Uh, and they would obviously needed quite a bit of time to get all of that completed because it was, there were cyclers in the velvet and there was trims to be put on. And um, so the first thing we did before making the chairs was to make all the seat frames so they could at least start preparatory work whilst we were making the, the chair frames. And um, yeah, it went very well. Uh, got all got delivered uh, ahead of time, actually. And uh, as you may have seen, they all appeared in the in, at, um, in the church, really uh, wanted to sit on. And they were the they were the sort of the front seats where the royal family were sitting. So the Cambridge the Cambridges as they as they were, the Waleses as they are now, yes. um, and uh, Edward and Sophie and their family, and sort of very much that front, um, you know. The posh guests, the most important, uh, the most important guests there. And other parts of Westminster Abbey, obviously there was the seating in the in the choir, um, which is, you know, classical design and very beautiful. You know, you go to places like that and you just think about the incredible amount of workmanship that has gone into to those kinds of things. And then the um sort of the general congregation, a lot of them were just on the regular Westminster Abbey. Seating, mm-hmm. which it sounds I was when I was reading um ahead of this, it sounds like it was a bit of a a change from previous coronations where in, in the olden days it had been chair, you know, chairs for everybody essentially and uh, part of the massive costs and it was perceived as a bit of a, a cost-cutting thing that maybe they weren't originally going to do these, I guess. But nice to have these special bits of history and I understand they're going to be auctioned off for charity. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I think even historically uh, the, uh, the congregation were allowed to buy their own chairs. So to a degree they were a, a no-cost uh, issue and in and in this particular instance, the the hundred that have been made will be auctioned off to raise money for uh, the king's charities. And some of the work I understand was done by um, one of the king's projects, which is in in interested in maintaining traditional workmanship. So, were you working closely with with them as well? You were all turn around about sort of a little way into the project, which. Um, as we were making the chairs, and there, and the, uh, there is the uh, the furniture making school at um, Highgrove. Um, it was asked if if we'd be happy to only make ninety chairs and allow them to make ten, and then provide them with the design and give them the help needed. And of course, we were happy to do that. Um, you know, the more people that get involved with these things, the better. And you know, promoting furniture making, furniture making colleges is something that's very close to my heart. Uh, more people that you know enjoy making things um, and promote uh, the joy of craft and the fact that we make things brilliantly in this country and you can make a living uh, being a craftsman um, and it's fantastic you know all of the work that the, the king I keep trying to call him the prince of wales um, uh, the king does with regard to uh, traditional crafts and skills um, is is tremendous and should be supported no, it's, it's, he has such a wide range of interests, and it's a very, um, a very sort of fitting thing there that he's has been working on. Um, do you have any details about when people can get, you know, how the process is going to be working for bidding for these chairs? Because I'd imagine some of our listeners might be interested in getting part of getting hold of a piece of royal history. Although I'd imagine it might be, might be slightly expensive on the bank balance to win one of those uh, bits of history. Well, I guess being only a hundred, uh, yes. I mean, there's. Uh, I would imagine there's going to be far more people interested. We um, won't have any left, put it that way. I don't think. Um, I suppose it just depends on what somebody's prepared to pay for a 
uh, a chair that was used at the coronation and potentially sat on by the future King William. Um, Do you know I, what I the process I, is? I don't at the moment. Um, we're still waiting to find out. I mean, obviously, as soon as we find out, we'll put it out on our social media. Uh, let people know. I had quite a lot of people get in touch and say, you know, how do we, how do we buy these chairs and or could you make me another one? And, uh, <laughs> uh, clearly, no, I can't. Um, uh, I, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how popular they are really, and then just how much money is raised for, for the charities. Uh, I mean, it's a good thing to come out of it, I think. Absolutely. And working with the royal family over the years, how closely have you worked with any of um, the royals themselves, or is it usually via their proxies? Um, you get reasonably close, but not too close. I mean, I mean, a lot of what I do is is sort of designed to a brief, uh, which has been set out, usually not by the member of the royal family, but by the the, the, the team of the household. Most of it goes past members of the royal family to prove it and uh, there may be a small discussion uh, if I'm called in just to uh, talk about some specific points uh, they normally show a great deal of interest while things are going in um, and then there's a sort of a small conversation about what we're doing or why we're doing it and um, so far everybody seems to have been happy with with everything we've done you know the contact is limited uh, just by the very nature of how busy they are. I mean, I don't think people quite, well, probably even listeners to your podcast probably do know, but they are incredibly busy uh, doing an awful lot of good work. So um, uh, they're not around a lot. And in terms of royal warrants, it's something I've always found quite interesting, you know, right to have the essentially the crown coat of arms displayed on your, you see it on various companies, lorries or websites or or packaging of breakfast cereals or whatever um and you're a, a royal warrant holder so what what how does that process work what's involved in it okay well the interesting thing about a warrant is it's normally only for people that make things um you get very few warrants for a service so you can't be a royal warrant um solicitor for argument's sake so uh the general procedure, I mean, it's been a long time since I acquired my warrant, but when, when I was doing it, you normally had, you had to demonstrate you'd worked for the Royal Household for at least five years and that you'd been working consistently and at a reasonable level in terms of, you know, an amount of turnover. Uh, and then you would submit that application with the evidence and then you would wait to hear. Uh, it's a very simple process in the sense that you can't, uh, you can't lobby, uh, you can't uh, buy it. Um, if you're refused, you have no right of appeal. Uh, if you lose it, there's no right of appeal. Uh, it's it's a very simple uh, accolade for quality. And unfortunately, you can lose it because they no longer need you, which doesn't mean that you're no longer any good. Um, so it's a slightly awkward thing because obviously if you have if you lost your you'd have to take it off your vans and off your letterheads and off your business cards and i'm sure that one or two people might ask why have you lost it you know <laughs> what did you do wrong um but i think they the general view in the household is that they're trying to reduce the number of warrant holders 
uh, for various reasons. And there's a lot of emphasis on sustainability now. So we have to fill in a huge amount of paperwork on uh, our you know, ethical practices and where our materials come from. And, uh, and then it's uh, re reviewed uh, anything between every five years and every two years, depending on how long your warrant was renewed for. And with the change from Queen Elizabeth to King Charles, does that mean a massive change in reapplication for warrant holders, including yourselves? Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, our warrant was in for renewal um, just before Queen sadly passed away. And I've heard nothing since. Um, so I'm assuming that the process will be the same. And basically, when they've got time, uh, now that things have quietened down in the Lord Chamberlain's office, that they will, I would imagine, justice decide whether they still want you as a warrant holder, in which case you'll probably receive your renewal uh, in the name of King Charles III. Or at least that's what I'm hoping. Well, I, was hope as, I would hope as someone who uh, whose this was working on the coronation chairs, you'd have a pretty good chance of uh, of keeping it under the new, uh, the, the, new uh, the new CEO of the, the big firm of Buckingham Palace. Yes. Um, and in terms of... of What's next for you, or, or is there a, is there a job, royal family furniture job that you quite fancy as a future one that would be yours? Just like yes, I'd really like to do that as my next my next thing for them if I was given that opportunity. I mean, that's one thing about the royal household is generally you know they then they don't waste money on things they don't need. Uh, they've got an awful lot of furniture already, um, and of course because it's looked after, it doesn't tend to get damaged. Um, so unless there's something, uh, a new project, um, on the go, which, you know, potentially there will be, uh, obviously with a new king coming in, there may be some things that he wants to, to change. Uh, I mean, I suppose the thing that I thought, of, I mean, I, I, I think it'd be nice to make him a desk. Um, I suspect that he's got a rather nice, you know, Chippendale one already, so he probably doesn't need another one, but, um. I don't know, I think we'd just be happy to make anything that, that we're ever asked to. I mean, we've made everything from, you know, a Puget sideboard to a, a folding screen for use at, um, you know, events in the palace. The, we're here to do what, what we're asked to, as we do with any client, really. I mean, as long as it, it kind of fits into the kind of quality threshold that we, we work in, uh, we'll happily make whatever's required. I mean, we, I got asked to make some... Uh, coat stands for Buckingham Palace to replace the rather unpleasant standard black uh, wheeled ones that um, they had when all the VIP guests came in. So we designed this rather fancy metal uh, crown shaped. It's difficult to explain it really, but it was a it was a, it was a flight of fantasy from my point of view. Um, I mocked up a prototype out of bits of plumbing gear that I had lying around in the garage. Um, and that was taken by the deputy master to the Queen, who quite liked it. So we got commissioned to do two of those, um, which was quite nice. Uh, and because we don't do metal work here to that extent, I have to get a blacksmith and make them. It's brilliant to hear that you can still have flights of fancy and create, yeah. um, you know, amazing things. And that's really part of I guess that's part of what the coronation was. We're seeing all of that grandeur and the pomp and circumstances. So you know, I'm glad somebody had a brainwave and uh, 
And it would be pretty brave, I guess, to say no to the new king. No, I'm not I'm not making you some chairs, but um, well done for, for turning it all around so quickly. Neil Stevenson, um, lovely to hear about your work on all things furniture. Thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Thanks for asking me. So thank you very much to Neil for that interview and thank you to Jen for joining us to talk about all the royal news. Uh, We'll be back again next week. I think Russell will still be convalescing. So we'll send him our best wishes for his speedy recovery. And uh, you can keep in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram at PodSave. And we'll be in touch again very soon. But until next time. PodSave the King!